Father, we thank you for that human video, such a reflection of your word. <laughs> In our time, Lord, we have heard so many times that a picture is worth a thousand words. So I pray, Lord, this morning, as we open your word, you would help me to be brief. Because we've already received the message. But Lord, may this word resound in our hearts. May it resonate. May it call us to a higher place in following you and living for you. God, may our lives not only be guarding against those things, quote unquote, which we should not do. The sins of commission, but Lord, omission. The things we must do. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father. You did not leave us orphans, but you sent your spirit. This message in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, Lord, is a reflection of you, Jesus, coming into this earth from heaven. The earth was the valley that you entered in. We were the dry bones. And Lord, you hung on a cross to die to make place so that we might receive the spirit of the living God. We thank you for breathing upon us the breath of life. So, Father, let your word hit its mark in our heart. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Ezekiel 37, chapter 1. Or, excuse me, Ezekiel 37, verse 1. If you want to turn there. And it says that the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out into the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath, that word is translated spirit, to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath into you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, the skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the wind, prophesy to the spirit, my spirit. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breathe, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in a, uh, your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Let the learned in the house say amen to the word of the Lord. Now in most cases when we hear the preaching uh, from Ezekiel chapter 37, it's used to speak of the power of God, and rightly so. It's used to speak of the power of God reviving us, restoring us, and resurrecting us, if you will. If you think of reviving us all of us were dead in trespasses and sins and the spirit of god came and brought us back to life he revived us and then god's spirit began to restore us as we read the word of god the bible says that 
uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And so at the word of the Lord, we are restored. Bit by bit, the word of God begins to restore us back to the likeness and the image in which he desired mankind to walk in. We're being transformed in the likeness and image of Christ is what the Bible says. There's a restorative process. Another scripture says that we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling unto God. In the midst of working out our salvation, what's going on? We are being restored back to the way that God desired us to be from the very beginning. Here's what's amazing. The resurrection is that final moment where the power of God wipes away all that was never intended to be. And we once and forevermore will be with the Lord and the way he wanted us to be from the beginning. Can you say amen? I want to give you a little bit of history on this so we, we understand a little better what was going on here in chapter 37. To do that, we kind of have to, to look at a little bit of the background. So I have a summary of Ezekiel that I want to read to you. It was done by uh, a scholar and... Um, the book of Ezekiel is a narrative history. It's prophetic and it's apocalyptic. Um, it even contains parables. The prophet Ezekiel wrote it approximately in 571 B.C. This date accurately uh, is accurately precise because this book contains more defined dates than any other book in the Bible. The book of Ezekiel has more defined dates than any other book you'll read in the Bible. Key personalities include Ezekiel, Israel's leaders, Ezekiel's wife, King Nebuchadnezzar, and the prince. It was written to announce judgment upon Judah and to allow them one, them one last chance to repent and also to foretell of the coming deliverance of God's nation from captivity in Babylon. It mainly discusses the events during the Babylonian captivity. Ezekiel is the priest who is called by God to deliver his message to his people. In chapters 1 through 3, God commissions his servant Ezekiel. He receives a vi uh, visions. His message is to confront God's sinful nation. I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Sounds like our generation, doesn't it? The word of God still speaks and confronts that rebellion. Chapters 2 through 24, Ezekiel delivered the message of doom to the captives. He told several parables, one that compared Israel to an adulterous woman, uh, chapter 16, 1 through 63. He taught them that God was cleansing his chosen nation. You have borne the penalty of your lewdness and abominations, the Lord declares. Sounds like our generation, doesn't it? And the Lord still declares that. From chapters 25 through 32, Ezekiel condemns judgment upon seven particular nations who mocked Yahweh. That's, that would be the world, by the way. If we're the church, we're striving to be like Christ, working out our salvation. And yet the world is, is always at us, always at the church, trying to tear it down, trying to destroy it, trying to entice us to go its way. That's what these nations did to Israel. And any time that Israel turned away from God, they found themselves in captivity. Not much, you know, different than our generation when folks dabble in sin, dabble in a little bit of the world, and the next thing you know, they're slaves to the instruments of Satan in the sense of debt, of despair, of all those things that begin to make us dry bones in the midst of a valley. This is what it says, that they mocked. Yahweh the God of Israel because of the captivity they too would soon see their fate see everyone will face one day the judgment seat of Christ can you say amen it's a real place it's a real time and everybody will come to that place the whole world will one day set before Christ's throne and he will pass judgment safety is only found in relationship with Jesus that is exactly what thir chapter 37 is all about. See, from 33 through 48, a message of deliverance and restoration is written. This includes not only the current nation of Israel, but also the future of the coming Messiah, the temple, and the kingdom of God in the end age. In chapter 37, he writes the famous vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, which we've seen today and have already read. Here's what he says to Ezekiel here 
He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. O Lord God, you know. I don't know what your valley is today. I don't want, uh, know what uh, you might be facing. Here's what I know. The church is meant to be an army that is raised up and set on its feet. And God clothes it with his righteousness. God clothes the church with his power so that we can march on the face of this earth declaring the message of Christ so that the kingdom of God advances. Can you say amen? We are an army of God. Listen to this. This passage, it shows us how our God can move into the places of our lives where things have descended into a valley of disjointed death, despair, destruction, and disbelief to resurrect hope and bring faith for the dreams we dream of how our lives can be. There's not a person sitting in here today that isn't dreaming of a better life. There's not a person sitting in here today that isn't dreaming of how God could use them in a greater way. Hopefully. Would anybody raise their hand and say, I really don't want to be used by God. I could care less about God. I really don't want to be blessed. I don't want to know what His promises are to me. Not one of us would say that. All of us are desiring for the best life we can possibly have. And the greatest hope we have is that God would breathe his life into ours. We have no hope outside of God. If a person lives a life, has plenty of money, even has good relationships, has great parties, has lots of fun, what good is that? At the end of this life, we will all set or stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give answer for our life. But the only hope we have of salvation and eternal life is that we place faith in Him and the work that He did on the cross on our behalf. Another thing this passage represents, it represents the God who speaks light into darkness and life into death. He can step into the middle of our dead situation and create life. With the simple move of his spirit. So I'm going to ask you a question. Are you ready for a move of God? That's the title of my sermon today. Are you ready for a move of God in your life? Are you ready for a move of God in your families? Are you ready for a move of God in your church? Are you ready for a move of God in the churches of the United States of America? Are you ready for a move of God in churches around the world? And are you ready for a move of God among those who have never come? Never come to understand or know the knowledge of salvation. Never come to that place of understanding how much Jesus loves them. I know it seems like, well, it's a simple thing, really. But to the world, it's foolishness. The Bible says that, that, that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They see this message that we preach as foolishness until they either come to the, to the uh, calamity of life, to the point of where they just have dry bones. You can have lots of money and have dry bones. You know what I'm saying? Y'all ever watch TV? I know you do. The average American watches more TV in a week than they read their Bible in six months. You hear what I said? The average American watches more TV in a week than they will read their Bible in six months. And yet we're a nation of Christians. Oh, pastor, are you going to go into that one-eyed demon sitting in the middle of your home? No, I got one of those. Not a one-eyed demon. But a TV. I have one. I watch it, but I don't watch it more than I read my Bible. I don't watch it more than I pray. We are a society that is hooked on entertainment. And you know what it's doing? It's lulling us into a place of and yes, I'm doing this on purpose. did that for the video. 
what happens is, is, you know, months later, we're looking back and we're like, man, I really haven't spent any time with God. And if you're not with him, then you're not having that breath blown into you. You understand? You're not, the spirit of God moves upon his word. Right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh. Blood among men. I say that scripture all the time, and I do for a reason. Because your relationship with Christ hinges on being in his word. And being in his word is the only thing the spirit of God will move upon. You remember in the, in the book of Genesis, it says that, you know, the earth was uh, without form and void. It was covered with water. And it says the spirit of God hovered. Say hovered. The spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. I like, can I have your Bible, honey? <laughs> the iPad just doesn't quite translate into the word yet. You know, it's like I hold the iPad it up. You know. The spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. There is some deep waters in this. You ever heard of the washing of the water of the word? Right? So the, the spirit hovers over the word. He's waiting to perform God's word in this earth. How do I know that? Because God's word says that I've sent my word out into the earth. Right? And it will not return to me what? Void. The earth was without form and void. I sent my word into the earth. I sent Jesus to walk. I sent the prophet to come into this earth, into that valley of dry bones, and breathe the breath of life so that they would stand up, that they would be assembled, so that I could put sinews on them and put flesh on them, and that the breath of life would breathe in them so that they would be my mighty army walking on the face of this planet declaring my kingdom and advancing my kingdom how do i know that that's how god thinks because the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force thank you baby <clears throat> y'all are awful quiet this morning would somebody say pastor you're preaching good that's not bad. I want to ask you, are you ready for a move of God? I'm not convinced yet, so I'll keep preaching. <laughs> see, in this passage, we see God, we see Him take destruction, and through the process of hearing the Word and the operation of the Holy Spirit upon that, He brings that army that lay dead to life. We labor with great diligence and attention to detail to show how the, uh, the valley full of dry, desolate bones broken and separated, if you will, are transformed into that final product of a mighty army standing on their feet, ready for service. Oh, I don't want to preach about that so much. You know what I want to preach about? I want to preach about the church of God. Those people who have been saved, those who will be saved, that God's desire is to stand you upon your feet as a mighty army to march forward in this earth for His kingdom. It's high time the church stopped retreating. It's high time that Christian soldiers, onward Christian soldiers, uh, uh, onward Christian soldiers, marching for the Lord. Isn't that right? What's that? that? As to a word. Did I say, what did I say? Please edit that. The whole thing is, you know, I grew up singing that song. We don't, sing it much anymore but the reality is is we are soldiers of the lord we're in his army and you know what we're meant to go and do battle we're not meant to draw back we're not well people don't like it when i witness about christ so i won't witness about him people don't like when i talk about the bible so i i just won't do it people don't like it when i talk about what god did at my church this week people don't like when i talk about you know my friends and i gathering together and doing a bible study people don't like People don't like, people don't understand, but we do. And if we understand, then we ought to help them understand. Discipleship. Go into all the world and do what? Go into all the world and do what? Go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. Go into all the world and hopefully they'll listen to you. Go into all the world and they'll love you to death, you know? Go into all the world and make disciples. Now here comes the real amazing part about that. Teaching them to obey. 
Say that with me. Teaching them to obey. That's not something that folks are too excited about, is it? Look, I want to teach you to obey Christ. You want to do what? I think I'll do my own thing. Thank you very much. But here's how you do that. You go into all the world and you make disciples by showing them the love of Christ and helping them to see that when God wants us to obey him, it's not something that he's wanting to control our life. It's something that he's desiring us to do so that he can bless us. Because he is who he is. You cannot move him. He has those immutable characteristics. Everybody's like, immutable. Immutable. What's that? Jesus is a rock. He does not move. You can't get Jesus to move from his character. You can't get God to just bump his character a little bit for your sake. God is who he is. He stands for who he is. And here's the reality. That's why we can trust him. And we can't trust each other. But we maybe can trust each other a little bit when we see that you're connected to Christ. Why? Because he's the one that will not move. And that's why he's the one we need to be talking about. Are you ready for a move of God? We don't just need people in the church, see. We need soldiers in the church. We have a lot of saints holding the fort. But we don't have many soldiers possessing the land. You remember the ones in... in, um, when they were going and it came from Egypt, the children of Israel, they're on this side of Jordan, and it's like we need to go into the promised land and possess the land. And some, let's just stay on this side. You know, it's, it's comfortable here, it's fine over here. Caleb and Joshua are saying, absolutely not. You know, we are going into the land, right? What happened? An army marched in there and possessed the land of God. The land that God had promised to them. What's God promised to you? When you read the word, what is it that stands out to you that you, man, you know, that God spoke that to me. God's promised this to me. This is my dreams. This is my desires. This is my purpose. These are the things God's been speaking to me in my life. And it feels like they've dried up. Well, let the spirit of God blow on them again and bring them back to life. Let him stand you up for your purpose again. Don't let those dreams, don't let those desires, don't let the purpose of God in your life die. Let God's spirit breathe life on that and stand you back up. And oh, by the way, here's the thing. The first thing that assembles is flesh and sinews, isn't it? It's bones. It's the bones. And then God puts that, what is that? If you didn't have a skeletal structure inside of you, tell me what you would be right now. A pile of mush. That's a good one, honey. You'd be a blob. Right? Could you imagine? Look a little different, wouldn't we? Right? With the bones inside that structure, what you have to understand is, is that in the kingdom of God, that's what his word is, man. His word is that structured... uh, Um, direction in our life his word is that instruction so that we can have the spirit of God breathe upon that and move us move us into purpose see there's great adversary Uh, we have a great adversary so our adversity is great the conditions are hard but we were bred for battle the Lord will go before us is what the Bible says and he will also be our rear guard See, God's not going to like raise you up to be an army and send you out alone. Actually, he goes before you and he comes behind you. He protects you. How many of you have ever read stories about our military? Where guys have gone to battle. And you've got guys who believe in the Lord. And they pray. And they pray really hard when you're in battle. And you get those stories that come back. Where everybody else around them were wiped out. But somehow they made it through and they came out. And that is because God was going before them and he was their real rear guard. It's that way for Israel. Most of you have heard about the story of some of their wars, right? <clears throat> when um, when uh, 
uh, Syria and Egypt, they joined together to advance against Israel. There was a point where they were uh, trying to seize the Golan Heights. And what happened was is, uh, they were coming towards Galilee. And there was one tank uh, command. One, um, it was one, um, what do they call that? Who was in a tanker unit? Man, what do they call that? It's a, uh, not a regiment, but it was a, um, it was like a, a tank, a troop. I think they call it a troop. And it, what it was is it was about um, nine tanks. And so what they do is, is they set themselves up, and this was during Yom Kippur. So the military was not deployed out doing what they normally do. They were celebrating Yom Kippur. And uh, so that's when they got attacked. And that one tank group fended off a whole army by themselves. Now, later on, they found out it wasn't actually by themselves. And the reason why is because uh, the reports came in that when the uh, army was moving to uh, flank them, their enemy, when they were moving to flank them, they saw like just a whole host of men dressed in white standing at this horizon. And so they wouldn't move. They saw that and thought, man, we're not going, who, what is that? And they stayed right where they were. This was a testimony by those that were coming against Israel. And so they weren't alone. They might have gone into battle, but the reality was, is God was going before them and he was also their rear guard. It's no different for us. See, in that physical sense too, right here, right now, you have a real enemy. The devil wants to take your life. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. And here's what we know for a fact, according to Scripture, is God will protect you, but you've got to put yourself in the grace of God. What's that? You need to come under Him. Be obedient to Him. Let Him have His way with you. Let me say that again. Let God have His way with you. The prophet heard from the Lord, and God had His way with him, and he spoke the word of the Lord, and then God had his way with the valley of dry bones. That's what a move of God is. He moves in, and he takes over. Are we okay with God taking over our life? I'd venture to say, most of us really are not okay with God taking over our life. God, ha uh, God brings divine order into your life. He said he strengthened you, nourished you by his word, and the wind of the spirit is meant to fill our lives. He stands us upon our feet. See, you are God's hands and feet in the earth. You are the agents of change and deliverance in the earth. It was said of the early church that they turned the known world upside down. Wherever they went, not only did they speak the word, but the power of God moved upon the words that they spoke. Signs, wonders, and miracles took place. Blind eyes open, deaf ears open. See, the early disciples did exactly what Jesus was doing. You know what? Jesus is still doing that. The question is, are we the disciples that are following him so that he can work through us to do what he wants to do? Amen? So if we want to move a God, what we've got to do is understand that Jesus walked this earth and prayed the Father for the Holy Spirit to be sent. His disciples did exactly that. Anybody ever hear of Smith, Smith Wigglesworth? He was a plumber. Do we have any plumbers in here today? Sam, you're here, baby. Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber. It was said that he had about a seventh grade education. That he couldn't even preach a sermon that would have any consolidated thought to it. He would just talk about scripture and share testimonies and, and share some of the things that God wants to do and then begin to pray for people. And you want to know what happened? Blind eyes open, deaf ears open. Uh, bones pa popped and cracked people, lame people got up out of wheelchairs uh, dead people were raised from the dead this wasn't back in what we say well that was in Bible times well we're still living in Bible times are we not? when we start to associate Bible times with that was back there when Jesus and the disciples were around then the word of God becomes of no effect for us because we don't really believe that it applies to our day we don't believe that God can move anymore God can move, but we got to want him to move. It was said Smith Wigglesworth one time, 
on a um, ocean liner. He was um, uh, like a cruise ship. Uh, they were playing music and, and dancing, and, and uh, a woman came up to him and, and said, would you like to dance? And Smith said, well, sure, I would love to dance with you, honey. Would you accommodate me? So Smith walks out onto the dance floor with her. He embraces her, holds her nice and tight. I do nothing lest first I pray at the top of his lungs on that dance floor. Father, I thank you. I mean, they're having a party. You understand what I'm saying? Well, I don't want to preach because people, they don't really like it. They didn't like it back then either. There's never been a generation that didn't stone prophets. Every single one of you are a prophet sitting in this house. What do I mean by that? I don't mean like a prophet like Ezekiel. I mean like a prophet like living in this time to foretell God's word. What does that mean? They foretold. We foretell in our prophetic ministry. But Smith walked down on that, uh, that dance floor and he begins to foretell. That poor woman. Help me out here. You need to act it out, babe. You know, she's trying to get away, not, not stay. You understand? Oh, I do nothing lest that first I pray. Don't do it too hard. I'm sure he was dancing a little bit, but here's the deal. The whole boat came to Jesus. The whole boat came to Jesus. A seventh grade educated plumber proclaimed the word of God. And they had revival. People's lives were being restored to the Father. And they gained the same hope we have of the resurrection, see. Would we be so bold, I wonder? See, we live in a, in a nation that has access to wonderful, wonderful places of high education. But how often are we exchanging exchanging the power of God that leads to salvation for how smart we are, how well or eloquent we can preach a message, that what we do is we exchange that and say, Holy Spirit, we don't need you because we have learned how to communicate without you. I'm not saying education is bad. We need it. But it has been proven. Look at Europe. It has been proven that when people start to, you know, it's called Gnosticism. We, basically, we gain a better understanding of things. The more knowledge we gain, knowledge, 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 knowledge. And, you know, the Holy Spirit is the one that guides us into all truth. Isn't that right? We've got to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit. How many say, if someone saw Ezekiel walking out in the middle of this valley of dry bones, by the way, there was a huge battle that took place there, that's how they all died. They were an army before, and they were an army after God moved upon them, see. We have always been meant to be God's army. But how many would say that folks would think Ezekiel had lost his mind walking around out in that valley? I think these bones can live. Ezekiel's lost his mind. Ezekiel had knowledge. But the knowledge he had was the word of God. And at the word of the Lord, when he spoke to Ezekiel, Ezekiel spoke. You understand that if you get the word of God in your life, there's moments he's going to speak to you according to that. You're going to look and you're going to see somebody that's in the midst of a divorce. You're going to see a husband and wife whose marriage has become dry bones. You're going to see a, a kid who's strung out on drugs. You're going to see a kid that is rebellious towards his parents. You're going to see a parent that's abusive toward their child. You're going to see real issues that are going on that suck the life out of people and leave them nothing but dried out and lying on the ground at the end of it. And if you'll be like Ezekiel, and allow God to use you to speak the word of the Lord into their life. 
You know what you'll see? You might start to see things rattle. Anybody ever rattle your cage? You might start to see things rattle and start to come back together. And then you might start to see that sinew and flesh. What's that? You might start to see life in that situation again. I'll share a quick story. You get a phone call um, from, a, from a young man. And he said, you know, my wife and I, I don't know if we're going to make it. Um, you know, I've done something kind of stupid, dot, dot, dot. Would you and Angie be willing to meet with me? They don't go here, so I can tell this story. <laughs> um, he, uh, he's studying in ministry. This is the thing I'm talking about with knowledge. Look, learn the Bible. Go to college. Let them teach you everything they can. But understand, it doesn't matter if you're not listening to the Spirit of God. The Spirit and the Word always agree. So this young man says to me, um, I'm not sure if she's my soulmate. Your wife? Yeah, my wife. Well, you married her. I, I know I married her, but I don't know if she's my soulmate. I'm like, well, she's your covenant mate, so we'll work from there. And so what ends up happening is he starts to tell me how while he's studying uh, in the minute, he's studying theology, that this woman was coming to him and she was speaking the word of the Lord to him, quote unquote. What I'm saying is, is why we will be a prophetic people, let's not be a pathetic people. So she says, you know, I feel like the Lord says that we're supposed to be together. And you know, I've, I've seen this with you and that with you, and, and I'll bet your wife this, and I'll bet this, and that, that, that. Yeah, that's exactly right. So she knew the situation at home wasn't good, and she didn't know by fact, she just knew by hearing. Anybody ever heard of a familiar spirit? Familiar spirit is that spirit that hovers around your life trying to find things and get somebody weird in your life to tell you, hey, you ought to go this direction, and here's why, dot, dot, dot. Well, does that say that in the Word? Let me see what the Word says there. The Spirit and the Word agree. We need the Word of the Lord, but the Word of the Lord is measured by the Word of the Lord. Can you say amen? And so she says to him, I think we're meant to be together. And he starts to entertain this. And so he's going to leave his wife. And we meet with him. <laughs> and I'm sitting with him. I'm like, okay, at what point in your study of theology did you exchange the truth for a lie? Well, I don't know what you mean. I, I just, it's one of those things. I mean, she's so accurate and she's so, and she's saying, thus say the Lord, saith the Lord, um, you're to leave your wife and, and, and be with me. Even though God says he hates divorce and God says this, and, God, and I know it happens and God's grace can move upon it. I'm just saying for a person that says they know the word of God to begin to embrace that kind of a lie, how can you be in the study of Scripture? You're, you, you know, you're graduating. You've got four years. You're finishing four years of studying theology. And, it, and what you've got out of that study of theology is a big, bold lie. And you're going to end up out of your marriage, and frankly, your ministry is going to be destroyed. You, know, you might be able to recover from it, but why would you go that route? Well, because you know God's grace will cover everything. If you approach God that way, saying, oh, I'm going to go sin because your grace will cover it. Anybody ever heard of, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul the Apostle, he says what? God forbid. If you, if you sin, right, knowingly, willingly sin, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. I got to tell you, that's the one that rocks my world all the time. I'm thinking, well, I know... I'm not perfect, and I know I still fall short. And uh, willingly, what, what is that? I want that. I'll say I know Jesus, but I want that, and I really don't want Jesus. I never spend time with Jesus. I never spend time in the Word. I never, ever pursue God. But I'm going to go to church because I like that fire insurance contract. That's what the American church is becoming. And that's why it's got very little effect on society. Because we no longer preach an unadulterated message. We preach a message that has, we commit adultery with. What does that mean? It means that we mingle all the other things of the world with it. Mix it all up and say, this is now Christianity. 
That's why I can read a, a blog post that says, when will the God-loving community begin to love you know, people for the way that they are? I love people though the way they're the way that they are because God loves us while we're yet still sinners. God doesn't entice us to sin. He doesn't invite us to continue to sin. He always invites us out of sin. And we're being told not to preach that message anymore. Then what hope is there of people really truly knowing that they need to repent of something and come to the one who died on the cross so that they could be saved? If we erase that part of the message, then basically what we're saying is, is Christ really had no need to die on the cross because we're all okay. And we just need to be in relationship with him. It's not a big deal. But if we erase that part, then we say he died in vain. And that's what we got to stop doing in the church. we got to be a people who can proclaim it. Look, I think you hear me. I'm talking to the learned. I would never preach this kind of message out there. I know that I have to make it palatable to those who do not know. But for we as the church, we must rise to that place to where there's not compromise in us. And we proclaim a message of love, but it has truth laced through it. So the Spirit of God can hover on the face of that deep and create. Because it's upon that that God will say, let there be light. And light shines in darkness. And He begins to create in their life dreams. And vision and hope and purpose. I speak that for us because we must not remain silent. If we want to move a God, it begins with us. Start moving for God. If we want to move a God, start moving for God. Who are your friends? How can you witness? How can you share Christ with them? How can you make them a disciple? Whatever that is. You want to have pizza, hang out and just pray, do it. You want to have pizza, hang out, and worship? Do it. Make sure the Word of God's in there. Because Paul the Apostle said he wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. I ask you again today, saints, as I close, are you ready for a move of God? Amen? Stand your feet. <clears throat> I want you to just, if you'd bow your head, close your eyes. I'm not going to do the whole bait and switch and get you up at the altar. The uh, altar team will be up here to pray for you if you need prayer. But with every head bowed, every eye closed, by show of hands, who's tired of the dry bones in their life? God is awesome. You're tired of the dry bones. God's word, God's will for your life, you can put your hands down now, God's ways for your life are found in fellowship with him. We can interact with one another and that's great, but if we come together as a church and we hope that on Sunday morning for a couple hours that we're going to be filled up and that our life is going to be all the more better. I'm telling you, we're sadly mistaken. These are meant to be inspiring moments, challenging moments, sometimes corrective moments for our life. So that we will go out of here and what we begin to do is pursue, pursue God every minute, every hour of every day. That doesn't mean you got to read all day long. It doesn't mean you got to pray all day long. But pray and read every time you get a chance and and think upon the things of the Lord think upon the good report of the Lord in your life think upon the the things he may help you with at work or giving you ideas there because why you can turn and give glory to him for what he does in your life in every aspect of your life a guy by the name of brother Lawrence used to say practicing the presence of God is not something you do just in your prayer closet. It's not something you do just in a moment of the day. It's something you do all day long, no matter what you're doing. God's invited in. He's invited in with yourself personally. He's invited in with your family. He's invited in with your friends. He's invited in at work. Whatever you do, God is there. And you practice His presence. You talk to Him all day long. Invite Him in.
If we're ready for a move of God, we got to start moving for God. So Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for every person in this house today. God, I pray that whatever the dry bones are in their lives, that God, you would breathe upon them. Because Lord, I stand today knowing this, just like Ezekiel knew, that God, only you know. Lord, you say, prophesy. So Lord, right now I prophesy the breath of God would blow into their lives, would blow into the valleys of their life, God, those dry bones, that your breath, Lord God, would touch them, and that, God, they would begin to stand on their feet. And that, Lord, you would add the sinews and flesh, the, Father, that sustenance that they need to be an army to go for your sake. God, wherever that is in their relationships, in their finance, in their work, God, in those places where they've struggled to forgive, I pray today, God, they would lay that off. It sucks the life out of them to carry those burdens and hold ought against others. Because when we do, Father, we cannot find forgiveness with you. So, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would blow, Father God, on these lives. That, Father, they would become that exceedingly great army. And that, Lord, they would touch. Everything that they touch would advance the kingdom of God in this earth. That they would understand that the kingdom of darkness comes against them at all times. It is trying to kill, steal, and destroy the Father at all times. They are suffering the violence of that kingdom of darkness. But, Father, may they be a violent army. And, Lord, may they march forward in their purpose and in their destiny for your kingdom, declaring your word, and see you, Lord, have your way in their lives, in their families, and all around them. In Jesus' mighty name. I'm going to ask, uh, Kenny, would you come? Uh, Lori and Brad, would you come? Um, Kenny's returned from uh, a tour overseas, and we thank God that he's come home safe. Amen? And uh, let's face the folks. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> Kenny knows something about an exceedingly great army. <laughs> we just want to pray for him. Uh, you know, our military, I, I just think as a representation, so much of our military endure things that, that uh, many of us would never understand. I remember watching a movie called Black Hawk Down. Anybody ever seen that movie? I remember setting that movie next to Mike Nortoon, a friend of mine. And uh, I remember certain scenes of that. It was so real. I remember myself, you know, the scenes would take place. And I'm jerking and jumping. He's like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. And what it was is it's like once you've been there and the things you go through and, and, and the sacrifice you give, it's hard. Most people don't understand that. It is hard to serve in the U.S. military to protect the freedoms of our nation. I don't glorify war. Make no mistake about that. And I promise you, most soldiers do not glorify war. They would rather not ever have to endure or face that stuff. But I know that it's important for our country to be protected. And I hope that our soldiers, putting themselves in harm's way for our nation, that we'd be a nation that would turn back to God, and we could honestly say that our soldiers are fighting for our religious freedom so that we can worship God freely. Amen? Because we hear it said all the time. We definitely need to be a nation that, that seeks after God, you know. But I think back on that. I remember another time I was on a bridge deck, and a generator backfired, and without even, without even thinking, I, I'm just on the deck, don't even know why I'm there. Like, okay, I'm laying there, I'm thinking, that was dumb. Because I knew it was a generator the moment that I'm laying on the ground. But there's things that, that they endure, the hardships that they endure, that are so hard. And I know some of you have served in our military service, and you understand what that stuff is. And when you serve overseas, <laughs> it's not like being back here with family, could you? Agree with that? Not even close, is it? It can be depressing. It can put you in that valley of despair, if you will. Do you agree? So I want you to just stand forward right up here. Um, could the elders come up here too and surround mom, dad, just get right behind him. And as we pray for him, I hope that we'd all be thinking of those soldiers we know. 
and the ones we don't that are enduring those hardships, that God would touch their lives and touch their families. There's a lot of orphans nowadays, you know, from the wars we've been fighting, kids that don't have their dads or their moms anymore. Stretch your hands out, saints. Father, we thank you for Kenny, and Lord, we ask your blessings upon him. And God, I pray that his mind would be stayed upon the word of God. That the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, would continue to work on his life, God. And God, I pray he would sense your presence. And he'd sense your love. Lord, may every time that he thinks about the duty and the service for God and country. Every time he thinks that thought as a soldier, I pray that the other thought that would resound in his mind and heart <laughs> that Jesus came for the joy that was set before him to give his life, that the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and that by his stripes we are healed. And that it's by his blood, Lord, that our sins are washed away and that we are white as snow. Lord, I, I know that soldiers so understand the scripture that states, greater love hath no man than he lay down his life for his friends. And I pray that, Lord, every time he thinks of those things, that it would resound in his mind and heart that Jesus had a great love for all mankind. And that he calls us friends. And he laid his life down for us. I thank you for him. I pray the next months, Lord, back home while he's here. I pray to be so blessed. I pray the times with family would be so sweet. I pray the times of worship would be so special. And I pray, God, as your word says, as he pursues righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. God, you would direct his steps because your word says that you direct the steps of a righteous man. Lord, do it. Raise him up not only as a leader in the military, but God as a leader in the body of Christ, as a soldier in the army of God. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. amen. God bless every one of you. You're welcome.